thankful for your faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot disown yourself. And, and you have been faithful to us, and you will always be faithful to us. And I pray that you have received our worship in response to that. As we open up your word, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would teach us. We invite you to show us conviction and to help us understand the change that needs to take place in our hearts so that we can become more like Jesus today. Most of all today, Father, I pray for the person sitting in this room that does not have a relationship with you. I believe today would be a wonderful day that uh, the angels would love to rejoice over the repentance of one who has yet to place their faith in you. So I pray that I would be removed from out of your way and that you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible, open with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. As we come to Romans chapter 8, and we'll spend a, a few weeks here, uh, it should be, go without saying, I shouldn't have to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, uh, about some things I believe about Scripture. I believe that the Bible is the greatest book in the world. I believe the Bible to be the divinely inspired book by God. I believe that the Word of God is God's revelation of Himself to us to show us what He wants us to know about Himself. This Bible is actually not just one book, but it is a library of books with different genres and different styles. And one of those books that's found in this Bible is a book that's called the book of Romans. There are many people who say that to them, their understanding as they look at all of Scripture is that the book of Romans is the greatest book in the Bible when it comes to theology, that it teaches us some great truths about some of the great doctrines of our faith, such as our sinfulness or justification by faith and and salvation, adoption into God's family, sanctification, that is the greatest book in the Bible in regards to what it teaches us. The book is composed of 16 chapters, and, and I've never preached through the entire book, but I know that when that time does come, if I'm like any of my other colleagues, it will take more than a year to, to plumb the great riches that we find in this book of Romans. In the middle of this book is Romans chapter 8 which many regard as the greatest chapter in this greatest book of the Bible. Some would say that Romans chapter 8 is indeed the greatest chapter in the Bible. And so we're going to slowly walk through Romans chapter 8. We will take four Sundays to do that as we try to understand the great truths that it contains and how those truths can change our lives. 
One of the things that we notice, and it's the title of the message this morning, one of the things that we notice in Romans chapter 8 is the difference that a Savior makes in our lives, especially when it comes to how we see ourselves in our relationship with God. When we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, when He becomes our Lord and Savior, He gives us a freedom that we cannot find anywhere else. We receive freedom from sin. We receive freedom to walk in this life that he's called us to live. Notice how Paul discusses that kind of life in Romans chapter 8. Let's read verses 1 through 11. He begins by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We could spend a whole lot of time just unpacking those 11 verses more than the two hours I've got prepared this morning. We can go way beyond that into the, the, the great depths that Paul went to. But notice the title of this message. I titled the message, what a difference a Savior makes. And I did that intentionally. The title of the message is not what a difference religion makes. It's what a difference a Savior makes. Many people who choose to cling to religion instead of the relationship with Jesus, many people who cling to that religion do not feel the freedom from condemnation that is found in Christ because they're caught up in religion. And the the thing about religion, every single one of us are in one of these two boats today. We're either trying to establish a relationship with God based upon His righteousness or based upon our religion. And the thing about religion is that it, it brings you into uh, what we could call a performance trap. You see, 
That's the thinking that you have to do certain things for God to bless you. That you have to live a certain way to keep God happy. And if you step outside of God's lines, if you step out of bounds, God's going to get you. He's going to zap you. He's going to do something. People who cling to religion, when something bad happens, they wonder, what have I done that has caused God to become mad at me? People who are caught up in this performance trap are always wondering, have I been good enough for God? Have I done enough good things for God? Listen, if you're basing your relationship with God on your religion, if you're basing your relationship with God about how much you do or how much you think you've done, you will either be a spiritual jerk because somehow you think you'll attain it, or more often than not, you live in despondency and despair, never knowing if you've done enough for God. Wondering if you've done enough to be received by God. But I come to you this morning, the bearer of good news. That good news is that a relationship with a living Savior, Jesus Christ, frees us from the trap. Jesus frees us from sin. Jesus frees us from our religion. And when Jesus frees us, when Jesus gives us that freedom, whom the Son has made free, that person is free indeed. When Jesus gives us that freedom in Christ, it changes everything. And Paul talks about this change in these first 11 verses. And I want to try to help us understand them briefly this morning as we think through three things that Jesus and Jesus alone can do as we think about this difference that a Savior makes. First is this, only Jesus can provide freedom from the penalty of sin. If Romans is indeed the greatest book in the Bible, and if Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible, I think Romans 8, 1 is going to be the greatest verse in the Bible. Look again at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. In the Greek, that means none. It means zero. In the Greek, English, Japanese, you name it, none is none. In Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Would you read that verse with me out loud? (laughs) There is therefore now condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. How much? How much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, one chapter prior to this, Paul talked about his struggle with sin. And Paul said, you know, there are some things that I know I ought to do, and I don't end up doing them. And he said, there are some things I ought not to do, and I always end up doing them. I only got two hands, so I can't ask another question. 
but my hammer go up. Paul was talking about his struggle, his constant struggle with sin, and it brought him to a question back in chapter 7 of kind of asking himself, how much condemnation should I expect? Since I struggle with sin so much, how much condemnation will I receive? His conclusion is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. Now, condemnation, that is a legal term that means that there is a charge held against you. You owe a debt as a payment. That's what it means to be under condemnation. What Paul is telling us is that for those in Christ, that debt no longer exists. The penalty of that sin no longer exists because sin has been paid. The penalty has been paid in full. Therefore, the penalty of sin against me is no more. Therefore, if I am in Christ, which I am, if I am in Christ, God cannot condemn me for my sin because Jesus was already condemned for my sin. For God to condemn me for my sin once Jesus has already freed me from that sin would be God requiring two payments for the same sin. Maybe God brought you here today just to hear this. If you are in Christ you are not condemned. God is not mad at you. God is not doing things to get back at you. If you are in Christ, you are under no condemnation whatsoever. So I beg you, please stop living like you are. Stop living as if you're under condemnation. Because in Christ, you're not I don't know if I'm going to get to point two, to be honest with you, this morning. You see, we, we, we grasp the idea that Jesus has forgiven us of the sins we've committed in the past. Sometimes what we don't grasp is that this freedom from sin's penalty applies to both the present and future sins. Let me ask you this. The answer is none, okay? The answer is none. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins had you committed at that point? None. You weren't around. Is that wind chimes or a... <laughs> if the Holy Spirit comes to take me out, I hope it comes with wind chimes. <laughs> you had committed no sin. Jesus died for your sins, all of them, before you ever committed one. This means that he's already atoned for the sins you haven't even yet committed. You see, the death of Jesus removes not only the presence of existing condemnation, oh, it also removes the possibility of future condemnation. There is nothing you could do right now that would make God love you any less. Are you listening to me? Did you hear that? There's nothing in your life that you can do that will cause God to love you 
any less than he does right now. See, only Jesus, religion can't do this, only Jesus, only Jesus can provide us freedom from the penalty. I hope the wind chimes will get answered in just a second. The third time I've heard them. Second, Jesus provides us freedom from the penalty of sin. He also provides us freedom from the power of sin. Jesus gives us freedom from the power of sin. Let me ask you this question. Do you know a sinner? Anyone here know a sinner? Okay. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at one. When you look at your pulpit, this pulpit, you're looking at one. When you look across the pew, you're looking at one. We struggle sometimes with the power of sin in our lives. Notice what he said in verse 2 of Romans chapter 8. He said, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. One of the ways that I know I'm no longer under condemnation is because a new law has been given to me and that law leads me away from sin. Now Paul is not using the word law here like like Moses uses it in the Old Testament. It's best to understand Paul's use of the word law as principle. God has put a new principle into our lives and, and there's a new principle at work in my life when Jesus becomes my Savior and that principle, that law is the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Don't miss the connection between verse 1 and verse 2. How do I know there is no condemnation in me or for me? Because I know the Spirit of God is at work in me. Listen, when sin is forgiven, it loses its power. Okay? Forgiven sin is powerless sin. When sin is for when God forgives you of your sin, that sin has no more power over you. <clears throat> the death of Jesus frees me from the penalty of sin, and the resurrection of, of Jesus provides us with the Spirit who releases within us the power from sin. These two truths always go together. In fact, let me give you a case study. Jesus was walking one day and there was a, some religious folk, and most of Jesus' problems were with church folk, religious folk. And, and they brought a woman that they caught in the very act of adultery. Remember that story? To Jesus. And they place her before Jesus. And at the end of that conversation, <coughs> all those accusers of that woman leave. And then Jesus makes this statement. Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? She said, there, are not, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The order of words that Jesus used in that narrative are important. He first told her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You see, if Jesus had just told her to get her act together, if Jesus had just said, well, you know what? I hope it all works out for you and go try to do better. 
That would not have happened because the power of sin was too great. Jesus had to first give her love and acceptance that was greater than whatever drew her toward her sin. So he assured her of his acceptance before he gave her the command to go and change the way she was living. We find the power to change in our lives only when we experience the assurance of God's acceptance. Life change always flows from forgiveness. By his death, (coughs) Jesus frees us from the, the penalty of sin and through his spirit that is given to us from his resurrection, he frees us from the power of sin. Let's get practical though. Okay, how do we experience that kind of freedom over the power of sin? Well, the short answer is when we walk by the Spirit. Well, let's just let Paul give us the answer. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful men for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus has killed that sin in our flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit is what empowers you to give you power over sin in your life. That means that you think about the things the Spirit thinks about. It means that you love what the Spirit loves. It means that you seek after what the Holy Spirit seeks after. The Spirit of God, it is within you insofar that you are dwelling on the things that delight Him. However, When you think on, when you participate in something that grieves him, you will miss the impact of his presence and freedom from the power of sin. I I want to challenge you this morning. Generally speaking, when we think about the damaging effects of sin, we tend to think that sin is dangerous because of the consequences it causes in our relationship with others. That's why, let, don't, we're not Catholics, so you ain't got to confess to me, but in your mind at least, has there been a time in your life when you were thinking about a sin and you were pondering committing that sin and you thought, well, you know, <clears throat> that sin's really not that bad. And it's going to have less of a consequence than any other sin, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. You, you ever been there? <laughs> and you, you choose to sin based upon what the effect is that you think you'll see happen. What if, what if the most damaging impact and effect of sin isn't what happens in real time between you and someone else. What if the devastating effect of sin is that it hinders your fellowship with God? That it hinders your walking in the Spirit? 
that it hinders you being given the power from God over sin in your life. Look, if you place faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The amount of spiritual power that you're experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It has everything to do with how much of you the Holy Spirit has. I'll repeat that because only two of you nailed that amen moment. See, if our power is from the Holy Spirit... And you get all the Holy Spirit when you come to faith in Jesus. Then what you need is not more of the Spirit. You've got all Spirit. What needs to happen is that the Spirit needs to get more of you. That is what gives us the power over sin. But we have to walk by the Spirit. So if you're part of God's family today, but sin still has power over you, you need to recommit yourself to walking according to the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. This is the difference a Savior can make. Jesus and only Jesus can give us freedom from the penalty of sin. Jesus and only Jesus can give us freedom from the power of sin. But thirdly, Jesus and only Jesus can provide us freedom from the presence of sin. It would be a lot easier for me not to sin if I weren't tempted to sin. <laughs> it would be a lot easier for me to choose righteousness if that's the only choice I had. But the presence of sin is still here on this earth. But here's some good news. Even as we struggle with sin... Even as I experience frustration with my own deficiencies, I can know that in Christ I am headed to an ultimate victory where the presence of sin will be removed and destroyed. Look at what Paul said in verse 10 and 11 of Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. <clears throat> if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit of God is at work in me seeking to produce righteousness in my heart right now and one day he will deliver me physically from this body of death into a world without corruption, sin and death. My friend, this has huge implications for us. What this means, what this means is that sin does not get the final say in my life. What this means is that sin <coughs> does not define me. What this means is that sin is not the end of my story. Even when I have to deal with the effects of sin, those effects of sin are not the end of my story. This means that if I am struggling with some sin, that that struggle is not the end of my story. The Spirit of God is within me, which means that struggle with sin will end in victory because the presence 
of sin will be removed from me in eternity. And friend, if you'll listen to me this morning for one more moment, if your life seems defined by some ongoing struggle that you're having, it may be a struggle with sin that you're having. It may be a struggle with depression that you're having. It may be a struggle with anxiety that you're having. It may be a struggle with some chronic physical condition that you are having. If your life seems to be defined by that, when it's all said and done, those things will not be the prevailing theme of your life. Just as sure as the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, He will raise your body to a beautiful, perfect, everlasting life. Those things will not define you. They will not be the end of your story. Victory will be the end of your story. That's why we don't sing, it's a draw game in Jesus. No, we sing victory in Jesus. Because as much as it seems like sin can kick our tail, Jesus is the one who will ultimately defeat it and remove it from existence. The body may be dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. My question for you today, very simply this morning, is do you have a relationship with this Jesus? Can you say that Romans 8, 1 is true in your life? You see, that verse, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is the key. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you stand condemned today. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you stand guilty for your sins. But having this condemnation removed is possible. And it's possible because of the grace of Jesus. In Christ, not in religion, not in your goodness, in Christ. Has there ever been a time in your life when you spoke to the Lord, we call that prayer, and in your speaking with the Lord, you confessed your sin, admitted your need for him, repented in your heart of that sin, and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that in your life, <clears throat> we invite you to make that decision today. You can make that decision right where you are. You can pray right where you are in your pew. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to pray, and you can pray as I'm praying. And ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. you got a question about that, you can come down here, grab me by the hand of the altar, we'll get you to someone who can help talk with you about what that means to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. But there may be those of you who are like me, and, and maybe at some point in the past, whether it was a week, a month, a decade ago, you asked Jesus to be your Savior. Will you live in the reality of Romans 8.1? That there is therefore now no condemnation. Walk out of here free. Walk out of here with a smile on your face. Come back next Sunday with the same smile. Walk around your week rejoicing in the fact that the condemnation that hung over you is forever gone. And you are free in Jesus.
to be who he's called you to be. Would you bow with me this morning? Father God, I'm thankful that Jesus came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Living a life of obedience, dying a death in our place so that there could be no condemnation for us. I pray today if there's one in this room who has yet to place their faith in Jesus, that even as I pray, even in these last few moments of this service, they would confess their sin and they would repent of that sin and they would ask Jesus to forgive that sin and to be their Savior and Lord. For those of us who have made that decision, Father, may we live in that freedom. May we live as if there is no condemnation for us because there's not. You are for us, not against us. Whatever needs you've placed upon our hearts today, whatever step we need to take next, would you help us to take that step and to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.